I want to take you back. That's fine, great. Yep. I want to take you back <clears throat> to January 29th, 2018. And that is a particular day of interest to me. Um, Phil, who you saw helping with the table here, uh, was teaching a class at his gym. And about 90 seconds into the class, I had a thought. It was a very brief thought. And the thought was, why is Phil leaning over? And I remember distinctly, it was the only thought that I had. I had no pain, I had no warning. There was nothing else. And a second later, I had collapsed. I think, I think my heart actually had stopped before I hit the ground. A friend of mine uh, who was in the back row with me, Molly, I reached out to Molly this week and, and I had some questions for Molly. She screamed loud enough so that others in the room that were in the class could hear. Okay, it's a Zumba class, all right? Just Phil's a good Zumba teacher, all right? She screamed, and immediately, a young lady named Avery, who I have had the pleasure of doing her wedding, um, try to keep in touch with her, and have thanked her many times, she came over and checked my pulse and said, there's no pulse, I'm going to start CPR. And I had just started, oh, I had just finished my second uh, full season of running. So I was in the best shape of my life. Um, and, and, and there, you know, I, there was nothing that would cause me to think that something was going to happen that day. But she said, I'm going to start uh, CPR. Somebody grab the AED. I've shared this before that a, a, a number of weeks earlier, Phil had looked at that AED and thought, I wonder if those batteries ever go bad. And he replaced, uh, had the, the battery replaced in the AED. So he's getting the AED, they're doing CPR, and that little green light turns on on the, on the AED. And they all looked at each other, wondering who was going to push the button. Phil, thanks for pushing the button. <laughs> I'm shocked. I was shocked. In fact, they said my body came off the ground. They did one more round of CPR and I was breathing on my own. It all happened so fast that by the time the first responder got in there, he didn't even realize that I had actually stopped breathing and that they had used the AED. He didn't find that out till weeks later when he talked to my wife. But one of the, the most revealing questions that I get from people when they find out my story is this. Did you see anything? They want to know. They want to know what happens when I die. And that question then leads to other questions, but we're going to start with that 
that place. And then we're going to go a little bit further, okay? So what happens when I die? We can say with assurance, now stick with me here, don't, don't try to get ahead of me, but we can say with assurance that we will all die. We're going to die. Now, I'm going to give the exception, okay? The Bible talks about the rapture. We've talked about that before, that Jesus is one day going to return and gather up the saints that are alive, and those that have died previously, they will rise again. It's called, we, we call it the rapture. Uh, it, it is the gathering of the believers, both dead and alive. And apart from that moment, we cannot escape death. Ben Franklin said in 1789, there's nothing, uh, nothing is certain except death and taxes. And, and I, I don't like either one of those two things. But he understood that no one lives forever. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 says this, just as People are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Psalm 89 verse 48 in the New Living Translation says this, no one can live forever, meaning in this physical body. All will die. No one can escape the power of the grave. Everyone dies. Now, we do read that there are two in Scripture that did not die. Elijah didn't die, and Enoch didn't die. And there was something about those two men that God said, you know what, I'm just going to bring you to be with me. You're not going to go through the process of death. I don't fully understand it, but that is what the scripture tells us. Apart from them, and I was thinking of this this morning, everyone in history has died including Jesus. Jesus went through death as well. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, Paul writes this, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Sleep is a euphemism for death. A euphemism is a, is a softer word that we use in place of another harsh word to explain what we mean. I don't know if you realize it, but archaeologists have dug up bodies that they are able to date through history as being 5,000 years old. And they even know who those people are because contained in their coffins or in, in the, the, the burial place, there's information about them which can be confirmed in history. And so, so we know that when a body goes into the ground, it can still be exhumed later and identified. We die. Whether we're in the ground or whether your family decides to place you in an urn like this one, which many are deciding to do. 
we're all going to die. One day, the ashes in an urn like this will be ours. We will die. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8, the second half of the verse, Paul says this, to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. What Paul is saying there is that when we are no longer in this body, when we are in this form, that we are, we are away from this, but we are not done. That we still can be in the presence of the Lord. In fact, Paul said, I prefer that my body be like this so that my spirit can actually be with God. Paul understood the meaning and he understood his life. He experienced a lot of hardship, a lot of difficulty. And he said, I actually prefer to be with the Lord, but in order for that to happen, I need to be out of and away from my body. So how can one be away from the body? Are we referring to something like astral projection? Where there's this intentional out-of-body experience where the consciousness separates from the physical body, freeing someone to travel throughout the universe? No, that's not what we're talking about. But the Bible talks about what happens next. Paul is referring to the fact that this, okay, this body is a tent. It's a tent. And, and as a tent, it breaks down. But it houses something that is eternal. You see, God made you and God made me with an eternal spirit that is going to live on after this life. Jesus said in Luke chapter 23 and verse 43, he said, truly I tell you today, and he's speaking to the thief on the cross here, you will be with me in paradise. And later that day, that thief was pronounced dead and Jesus said, to be absent from your body is to be translated. Your spirit will still be alive. You'll be with me in paradise. Literally, death separates body, physical, temporary, tent body from an, our eternal spirit. That doesn't really sit very well with our culture today because we want to live for the here and the now. It's about getting as much as we can get right here, right now. As much money, as much experience, as much fun as we possibly can get, as much material wealth and goods as we can get. It's about getting it all right here and right now because this is it in their eyes. So the question that people are asking, what happens when I die, it leads us to the next question which is, will everyone go to heaven? You see, most people believe in heaven at two different times in their life. And I'm going to say this from experience, because I've been with enough people 
at these times. I've been with enough families at these times. They believe in heaven. When they are standing around a hole in the ground with one of these or with a casket, and I'm reading scriptures about the second resurrection. When I'm reading scriptures about heaven, they are, at that moment they believe. There's another time when people believe and want to believe in heaven and that's when the family is gathered around a loved one that has been given a diagnosis that is so bleak they don't believe that they're going to live out the night. Families want to believe that heaven exists. The Bible says, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. God created us from the dust of the earth. We read it in Genesis chapter 1 and we will return to the ground and we will eventually become dust once again. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7, it says, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. But does this mean that we all go to the same place? Jesus tells a parable during his ministry of two men. One man was a beggar. His name was Lazarus. The other was a rich man, Every day, Lazarus the beggar was laid at the gate of the rich man, and Lazarus was poor. He had nothing. He hoped that he could possibly be given the crumbs off the floor that had fallen from the table of the rich man. We read in Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 22, it says, the time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades where he found where, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, "Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire." Jesus gives us this picture in his parable that when we, are, when we pass from this life that there are two eternal destinations. Lazarus was ex escorted uh, by angels to a place called paradise or Abraham's side. You might have heard it even referred to as Abraham's bosom, but it's a place that the, the, the Old Testament refers to, generally speaking, as, a, as Abraham being there. And for the Israelites, for Jewish people, that was the goal, to get to eternity with God and spend it with Abraham there in paradise. But the rich man was taken to a place called Hades. Now, the fact that Lazarus went to paradise and the rich man went to Hades had nothing to do with their finances. It had to do with choices. The Bible teaches us that there are two eternal destinations. So what's the difference between them? 
And I want you to understand when there's a a knock at your door at home and someone comes to the door and they ask you this question, wouldn't you like to live in paradise? And they begin to talk to you and they begin to tell you that heaven is full and that you can live for eternity here on earth in paradise. Friends, the scripture does not teach that. The scripture does not teach that this world will remain permanently. The earth is not heaven. The earth is not paradise. And heaven, I want you to know this. I don't know how many of you, your moms collected precious moments, but heaven isn't going to look like a precious moments collection either with a bunch of chubby cherubs floating around. That's not what it looks like. I'm so glad my wife said that she didn't want to have that collection after my mom passed. I have no idea what happened to that stuff. It's also not a ghostly state of being. It's not a state of nirvana or karma. And hell is not a laughing matter. It's not a place that's reserved for only a few People like Hitler, people like Stalin, or Genghis Khan, or Himmler. It's not a place for me and all my rowdy friends to have a good time. One is a place of paradise, and the other is a place of agony. And both are places of eternal destination. One is eternal life, and the other is eternal punishment. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, he said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Last week we talked about a choice. And what Jesus is saying is that many will choose destruction, but only a few, comparatively speaking, will choose life. But what determines, what determines whether someone goes to heaven or whether someone goes to a place of eternal punishment that we refer to as hell? What makes that determination? Let me share it with you. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 27 says, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful nor deceitful. Here's what I want you to see. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. As I studied this week, I came across something that I'd never read before that I thought was really interesting. And, and that is, of course, when we read this, we think there's a literal book and Some scholars believe that literally the Lamb's book of life is the Lamb himself. And the fact that we have a relationship with him, we are written on his heart. And then in Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, it says, Anyone whose name is not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So the natural question is this, how do I get my name in that book? Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the second half of that verse talks about the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
The way we get our names into the Lamb's book of life is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So if you're wondering, are there any alternative ways that I can get into heaven other than through Jesus Christ, let me tell you today that you cannot, you cannot sneak in, you cannot borrow a ticket for a family member, you cannot ride on the coattails of someone else, you cannot buy entrance into it, you cannot bribe your way into it or earn your way into it, and you cannot be good enough on your own to gain entrance. Which leads us to the most compelling question. And this is the one that I hear the most. This is the question that in casual conversation, I hear uh, the, the most often, this is the most common one that I get, and it's this, how can a loving God send people to hell? This is it. This is the big one. So many people say, I, I cannot imagine, I, I, I couldn't serve a God who would, in, who would send people to hell. Let me address that for a moment, can I? I think that people that, that ask this question sincerely, I think they're making some assumptions. They're assuming that God created hell for man. They're assuming that God wants man to go to hell. And they're assuming that God selects those who will go to hell. The Bible tells us that hell was created for the devil and his angels. We read about it in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, the last part of the verse, when Jesus said that eternal fire is prepared for the devil and his angels. It is not God's desire that man goes to hell. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the second part of the verse said, Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But God is a holy God, and he cannot accept sin, and our sin has separated us from God. God doesn't send people to hell. Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15 Joshua writes this, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Luke chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus said this, no one can serve two masters. God provides a means of restoration between you and God through Jesus Christ. When Satan tempted Eve, and Adam sinned in the garden. We talked about this, that there was a separation that took place, but Scripture says that God had a plan of salvation, His Son, Jesus Christ. Even before man was created, God had the plan of sending His Son, Jesus, to die for humanity because He knew that man would sin. God has provided a means of restoration for you and for me to be restored to himself that our sin would be sacrificed for, that our sin would be forgiven. The most well-known verse in all of Scripture 
comes from John chapter 3, verse 16. I'm going to read 16 and 17, but just listen to this, will you? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God loves mankind. God loves you. God sent his son, Jesus, to die in your place and to die in my place that we could be restored to our heavenly father that our names could be written in the Lamb's book of life and that we could live in God's presence in heaven for eternity. God doesn't send us to hell. He allows us to choose. And he sent his son with the message. The message that said, you need to realize that heaven and hell are real and that God sent me to die for your sins. And if we confess our sins, if we believe that God has raised Jesus from the dead, the Bible says that we will be saved from those sins, that we will have our names written in the Lamb's book of life. God did this because he loves the world, not because he wants the world to go to hell. It was man's sin that separated us from God. God has provided a way for us to get back to him. And when people say, I could never imagine uh, having a relationship with a God who sends people to hell, don't understand what the scripture says. He calls mankind to repentance. Repentance is where we become aware of our guilt and our sin when we realize our need for God's mercy through Jesus Christ. Our attitude changes towards sin and we desire to walk in obedience to God. And I know for some of you, Some of you are stuck on what I said in the very first couple minutes when I started this message. You are stuck on something that I said. And you're wondering right now, you still have a question. Man, I wonder, I wonder, did he see something? Did he see something in that moment? In those two minutes or so, when my heart was not beating, Did I see something? I'll never forget a few weeks before my mom passed. She said to me, Kevin, she said something happened that I want to tell you about. She said, last night something came into my room. She said, the only way that I can describe it is it was like a large wooden train. And I knew that it was there for me. And I had a choice. 
I could get on or not. She said, I knew it was there for me. And it was there to take me to heaven. She said, I just want you to know the next time that comes into my room, I'm getting on. Now, you can scour the scripture and there is no, <laughs> there's no reference to a wooden train. But friends, heaven is real. And hell is real. And the Bible says that it is appointed to us once to die and after that the judgment. This morning, the most important decision that you can make in your life is not what you're going to eat this afternoon for lunch. It's not what you're going to wear to work tomorrow. It's not who's going to take care of the kids next week. It's not, do I take that job offer or not? It's what choice do I make as it relates to Jesus Christ and what he's done for me? Will I choose heaven or not? God gives us the choice. I'm gonna just ask everybody to stand with me as we close. Father, I pray that in this moment, as we have looked at your word, as we have thought about the end of life, God, I pray that the scales will come off our eyes, that we will realize that there is a choice that we must make. And that not making a choice is not an exemption from the fact that a choice must be made. It's simply denial. And so, Father, I pray that in this moment, if there's somebody here today that has been struggling with a question like this, God, what happens when I die? Or that are struggling thinking, why would God send someone to hell? I pray that this morning the Holy Spirit will have opened their eyes. And so as we close our service today, I want to ask you this question. Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? If it's not, I believe that God is inviting you today. He's inviting you. He's imploring you. He's pleading with you through the Holy Spirit today to ask Jesus to come into your life, to begin a relationship with God, to come to God through Jesus Christ. You say, how do I do that? To simply trust that Jesus' death on the cross was not for his crimes, but for your sin. And to say, God, I believe that Jesus died for my sin. I need forgiveness. God, I desire my name to be written in your book. 
I need a relationship with you and I want to come through the person of Jesus Christ. God, forgive me of my sin. Make me a new creature in Christ Jesus. If that's you today and you want your name to be written in the Lamb's book of life, I want to pray for you this morning. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I would just invite you to just let me know that that's you by slipping your hand up so that I can pray with you. Go ahead, slip that up if that's you. Yes. Anybody else? Yes. I'll only wait another second. If that's you, I want you to know. Yes, you can put your hands down. Father, I pray today. I pray that today would be the day. God, that these that have raised their hand would say, God, I want my name written in your book. I want, I want my name written in your book and I know that it only comes through Jesus Christ. I know that it only comes because I acknowledge my sin and I acknowledge that Jesus has provided forgiveness for that sin through his death on the cross and I accept it. I believe it. God, I thank you today. This is a powerful moment, God. I just want to invite us to all pray together aloud for the benefit of those that raise their hands today. Our dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I desire my name to be written in your book and I can't do it on my own. I believe that Jesus died and he rose again but he did not die for his crimes. He died for my sin. I believe it and I put my trust in it because I can't get rid of my sin on my own. And so I trust in him today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the truth of your word. And God, I pray that as the body of Christ, that we would, we would proclaim the message of the gospel, that we would proclaim the truth of your word. And not just a little bit, but from the housetops, that we would proclaim it, God. We know that the world often believes a lie and they're confused. I pray God help us to bring truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning, I just want to encourage you, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to let me know. There's a couple of, of ways that you can do it, but the easiest one is in the seat pocket in front of you, there's a card that says, decide. Take that card, put your name and your contact information on that, put it in one of our black connect boxes hanging on the wall or hand it to me so that I can continue to pray for you and I have a gift for you that I'd love to put in your hands. Thank you for being here today.